Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the second episode of the Speak Out Loud podcast. Hello. We made it back. Oh, yes, we did. To episode two. Yes. So we've come back. We're excited to share with you. Hey, we want to thank everyone that has listened to the pilot, that has shared it. So many of you have reached out to us to encourage us, to let us know you're praying for us, and we really do appreciate that. So we just want to say a big thank you to everybody yep. that's uh, already engaged with the first episode. It's exciting to see um, uh, how this is being used already, hopefully, and we're really hopeful that it gets into people's hands and their ears um, that need to hear maybe an encouraging message here as we end what's been a really difficult and tough year in many ways. Well, and I must say that we are absolutely keeping it real. I remember this saying from a long time ago that she has a face for radio. Man, my hair is going every which direction, and we're just hanging out, and we just want to share with you today what God's got on our hearts. So. Well, Stacy, I definitely don't think you have a face made for radio. <laughs> you have a face. Now, me, on the other hand, I could definitely see uh, updating that statement to a face made nope. for podcast. But uh, we are really glad you're here. Hey, we would invite you, if you have not gone and listened to episode one yet, we would love for you to go back and check that out. We're actually picking up the story today uh, here in episode two kind of where we left off last time. So it might be helpful to uh, to go back and listen to that first. You certainly don't have to, but um, that's where we're going to jump in. So we're going to start back where we left off, and there we were, uh, thinking back to that story and just how we wrapped up last episode. We really talked about and, and described, I think, the beginning process, a number of years even, but the beginning time of Stacy, our mental health journey. Yes. But where we left off was where we said that night, kind of almost we can pinpoint to the moment where recovery begins. Mm -hmm. A great analogy I've heard someone share, actually it was in a kind of a family group setting uh, at a treatment facility one time, was they were talking about what had happened in their family and their loved one and just kind of the crisis that had erupted. And they said a phrase I'll never forget. They said, it's like a bomb has gone off in our family. And I think they were still feeling shell-shocked. They were feeling just kind of stunned by the whole thing, um, almost really in shock. Mm -hmm. And I think many of our listeners can probably relate to that feeling. Maybe you felt like that lately or even right now. But I think as we look back, that was a lot of how we felt that night. And Mm -hmm. one of the things I said as we wrapped up the last episode is we had just left a treatment facility where we were checking in, but we knew that was not the right place for you. Yeah, It was kind of, in our minds at least, maybe not to everybody else, but to our minds it was rather dramatic. We left, we get to the parking lot, we get out of the parking lot so they can't chase after us and catch us. (laughs) And um, I don't think they would have done that. I don't think so, but it it felt like that in that moment. (laughs) We get to literally a fast food restaurant next door, and we just kind of started to... I don't know, decompress. And in that moment, we didn't know what we were going to do, but God brought to my mind a place we had heard of in Tulsa, Oklahoma, called the Laureate Hospital. And just something clicked, that that moment of hope, where like, that's where we're going to go tomorrow. We had heard some good things. That's where we're going to go. So let's pick up the story there. Okay. Because that's where we went that next day. Literally, we got up the next morning, drove to Tulsa, and started the check-in process. Mm-hmm. So what was that like for you? You spent a little bit of time there at the hospital, and uh, maybe just what was that experience for you, Stacy? Well, one thing that I 
really hit home with me right when I walked through the doors um, in the back property where the treatment center was for um, people who were just highly unstable was that I walked in and they, um, one of the nurses came over and she took out my shoelaces out of my shoes and put electric tape around my shoes so that that way I couldn't take out the shoe string and um, use it to hurt myself. Uh, it was just the reality of where I was. I had tossed into a little bag like um, a razor and soap and, or, you know, a little change of outfits and different things like that to, to take with me, not knowing what it was going to look like for the next few days. And they took the razor, of course, so I wouldn't hurt myself. And um, I didn't realize that for the next week, I wouldn't go to the restroom by myself. It's kind of a rude awakening. It was a rude awakening, but I felt safer than I had felt in quite some time. And so they were very good to me. They did what it took to make me feel safe, but they did that with dignity, I feel like, and they allowed me to keep my dignity in that because, I, again, I was not fighting them. I just um, knew that I was desperate, and so there was nothing to fight. Uh, They were just trying to help me. Um, At that time, there was also a realization that I'd been mismedicated. Uh, You have to be really careful about who prescribes your medication. And right when I got there, they started writing down the medications I was currently on, and I noticed that the nurse was just shaking her head, and I was like, what's what's going on? And she said, well, honestly, the medications that you have been given are not even, and I haven't even tested you yet. We haven't had a conversation yet, but the medications that you are on do not fit what you've even come in here for. Yeah. And I think actually what they were telling us was in some ways they were making things even harder for you at that time yes. yeah. instead of helping you. So that, that was a big challenge, I know. Mm-hmm. One of the, the, kind of the environment there that I want to help you imagine is that all of us that were patients that were to a certain degree of dangerous to ourselves um, were put in a little glassed-in room, and um, there we sat and got to know each other a little bit, and I kind of was sitting over by myself. I was just still pretty overwhelmed where I was. Not that I felt like I didn't deserve to be there, Um, that my actions weren't severe enough or that I was too good to be there. I was just, um, I don't know, just like I said, overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of sitting off to myself and there were pockets of conversations going on in that room and people just um, getting to know each other little by little. And I was just overhearing these conversations of a lady who was a principal of a school and uh, she'd gotten overwhelmed with just the tasks of her job. And you're going to hear me say that word overwhelmed because that just best describes what can happen in the mind of someone who is really getting adjusted to a totally different environment and situation. There was a young man that was um, probably 21, 22, and he was talking to a young lady and he was talking about how he had a history in his family of all the men being doctors, and he did not want to do that. And because of that, he had been kind of ostracized in his family and because he wanted to go into the world of arts and um, so and writing. Uh, these are just a small example of the people that I was surrounded by. They weren't 
people who were, um, you know, violent or who were um, what we would consider to be acting crazy. They were just people who were hurting and didn't understand how to get out of their situation and live at the same time. Yeah, I think that one of the things we were just struck by and maybe our our mindset was not right going in was it was everyday regular people, Mm -hmm. people that we kind of thought were like us. Um, but were also battling a serious illness and had reached a place in their life where they needed some help and they, they'd come to get that help. But overall, I, I remember specifically this just this dramatic shift in my mind of how everything I feel like we'd experienced the day before, which was just almost, I don't know, discouraging, dark, mm-hmm. depressing. Again, it was a mental hospital, but this facility was exactly the opposite. It was... There was dignity from the moment we walked in the door. And I think for us, that was so important. And something so important that we can give those that struggle with mental illness is just help them, encourage them, to treat them with dignity. And I think that's been so important in our journey. But for us, there was hope there, and it was certainly a beginning. Like you said, you were there a week. And then, so we come out of that, and and really, um, I think we didn't know what to expect at that point. But I do think we had probably high expectations for a quick recovery. At least I know I did. I think we had mm-hmm. expectations Definitely. that, okay, we're, we're at this point and we're going to, you know, spend a few months, maybe a year, get here, and we're going to knock this thing out and be done. Yeah. And I think in reality, and probably what most of our listeners and can, can kind of relate to, is that there are no straight lines of recovery. No. And I think that was a very quick lesson that we learned. So over this stretch of time that lasted for several years, what were some of the things that we were um, kind of learning or experiencing during that time frame? Without it being said, I could feel that um, pressure to make that line straight, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, I'm very much a people pleaser. And I wanted people around me to not be discouraged by me. I didn't want to be a burden. I wanted to be able to live up to what we were all hoping, including myself. Uh, we we didn't really want to look to this as a long journey because that was just too much. One thing I think we've really found is this is a moment-by-moment battle, fight that we're in. But we didn't know that at the time. I just kept stumbling, and the falls were getting bigger again. And now you were in outpatient therapy yes. during this season. So we left yeah. the hospital, entered into outpatient therapy. So that's continuing on. Mm-hmm. And even as you say that, Stacy, I can think that probably, probably I was the one inadvertently in some ways putting that pressure on you because I did have in my mind just this, this time frame thinking, okay, we're going to knock this out, and we're going to get better, and everything's going to be okay and I think for me, and I, I've said this a number of times to other people, the thinnest of lines, at least for me, is that line between denial and optimism. Yeah. Is that, you know, where where do you land on either side of that line? And sometimes I was landing on this optimistic sign, side of the line. And I think probably your therapist and others are probably telling me, no, Doug, you're on the denial side. So that was something mm-hmm. for family members. We have to balance that out. Not living in denial, but also keeping the the banner of hope waving for our family and for our loved one that's in mm-hmm. in this fight. And for you, Stacy, was the fight of your life, really. Yeah, I think to your credit, though, Doug, you were always um, seeing me as very strong, and 
I had overcome several things, even since mm-hmm. we've been married, you know, um, the divorce of my parents had not been far off. Yeah. And, um, then also the, the miscarriage, the late miscarriage of our son and, then being in the ministry again when I didn't anticipate being in the ministry again after uh, growing up in the ministry. And so we were all kind of just going, what, why aren't I bouncing back? Um, so it wasn't just you, it was me too. And uh, the more pressure I put on myself, the worse I did. So um, we found out that real quickly that that wasn't going to work. You know, Stacy, one of the things I think that when we look back to this season of, of your recovery, I think a way we kind of describe this is that many times we felt like we were just hanging on, hanging on at times mm-hmm. by our fingernails, really. Most um, you know, what was that season like for you and, and how were you feeling in that mm-hmm. kind of what was a couple of years even at that time? Yeah, I was, think the big overlying word would be disappointment. And uh, the medication was taking a little bit of the edge off. It's so hard to find the right mix. Some people call it the right cocktail of medication. And uh, I wasn't feeling better yet. And so something that kind of came in all at once that was so unexpected was self-harm. As if the eating disorder and depression wasn't enough, it's like my body was longing for a reset. And the way that I found to get that reset was through cutting. It's probably one of my most shameful things to talk about. I'm not, I was not a teenager going through a time of rebellion or lostness. Um, It's our conviction now that cutting or any type of self-harm is kind of a, well, very much a precursor to suicide. It's a cry for help. It's saying, I am not okay with where I am and when that's not happening. I was searching for more and more pain to drown out my mind, the, the hurt that was going on in my mind and the feelings of, you know what, you may never get better. This Mm -hmm. could be your life. Yeah. Well, and one of the things I think too, that, that was happening during this, uh, this season was, and we can see this now on this side of it. We certainly just didn't like joyously kind of wrap our arms around this when we're going through it. But I think God was building in us, in Mm -hmm. you, a resilience. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a real resilience in recovery that I think just, you know, something I love that you say, Stacey, all the time is you say to yourself, you say to others that are in recovery with you, you know, we can do hard things. Yeah. We can do hard things. And I think it was in this time frame you were having to do a lot of hard things mm-hmm. and and we were we were God was building in us a resilience that we didn't really know was happening but it that was a byproduct of that. Yeah, I mean we were so thankful for that looking back on that because I can remember sitting in the bathroom floor with a tool in my hand and I'm never descriptive to some degree of about cutting because I don't want this to be a how to podcast. Um I don't go really um, super in-depth about it, even in my book, because uh, those of you who have cut or done self-harm, you know what I'm talking about. And so, um, but I can remember us sitting in the bathroom floor with me holding my tool, not even knowing how we would get to the next day. Mm -hmm. And so we needed that resilience, and God started to usher that in just at the right time. Yeah. You know, one thing we tell folks, and we want to make sure everybody understands, is that Stacy and I are not counselors. We're not therapists, uh, so we're not trained treatment professionals. 
we are people on this journey. But one thing I think, Stacey, you do really well, and you've really helped me with uh, over time, is helping me just understand how your mind kind of works, how your mind in some ways treats you. Mm-hmm. So how would, would you describe that just for everybody? I think that's really helpful to understand because that plays such a huge part in this journey. Yeah, and often when I've tried to describe it to people, I've no- noticed the look on their faces, I don't get it, but I want to. And so I've really tried to hone in on how to describe that. And so that that way I can make it a connection with that person and they can help me through that moment. And also so that that way I can have the support that I need. Uh, You don't have to understand to show compassion for something someone's going through. And that's something we've uh, we've grown to really embrace. I do not understand diabetes, but my brother-in-law who has it so bad um, is someone who I can show compassion for. Don't wait to understand the person that you're in community with in order to show compassion for them. Um, you could never get there. And so, um, and that person could be really missing out on your support. So for the depression, my mind, the best thing I can say is my mind hurts. It feels dark. It feels heavy. It can sometimes feel hopeless. And yes, I am, um, a committed Christian. And so the word hopeless doesn't really play into what we talk about as Christians, but that's the best way I know how to describe it. And the hope I find in those situations is from the scripture and for people praying for me. But that's the best description I have. And then with the anorexia, I would say that pretty much I eat seven times a day and pretty much every bite my mind is saying, do not eat. And it is screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, the fears, it's screaming everything that I fear. You're going to get fat. You are. And what is fat in the first place? And then you're going to not be able to stop eating. You're going to overeat. You're going to become someone who has the opposite, the binging and purging. Um, I think Doug one time had said, um, or you can share this about how many meals we've eaten together, you know, that you didn't have any. Yeah. Well, that's a great point. There was uh, a presentation one of your doctors one time gave that I was able to attend. And, you know, it just was so impactful to me because as he talked through this, he, he kind of shared the different stages of um, just the, the mental processes. Some of the, And he was giving even some of the neuroscience behind it mm-hmm. that a mind goes through in a meal. Uh-huh. And then right. he kind of flipped the, the tables and shared what goes on then in an eating disorder patient's mind. And I just remember in that moment just being just hit so hard with how many thousands of meals, because at that point we've been married a number of years, how many meals, how many thousands of meals had you and I set across the table from one another and something completely opposite was going on in our two brains. Yeah. And and for me just to try to get, to, to begin to get a little bit of understanding around that was really, it was a big change for us. And, and I think mm-hmm. for me and how I can better support you. Absolutely. And I'm so thankful for that, that God um, allowed that doctor to share that because I was um, a patient when Doug saw that or heard that analogy. And I remember looking out into the group of people and there were just tears rolling down his face because he got it. And it's those moments that we really cling to. And then finally with anxiety, 
um, something that I struggle with is just sometimes it just gets me to the core and I just it makes me shake and my heart races and I'm scared and the days feel so much longer um, they feel endless sometimes because the struggle is enough with one of them. And then you put depression, anxiety, and anorexia all together, and you've kind of got a perfect storm. Um, so, yeah. Well, it was during this season, too, I think, Stacy, that as we look back on our story, I kind of see some things I would call milepost kind yeah. of moments, things that we can just go back and say, okay, that was a significant milepost, a significant step. And, and during this season, there was something that I think you talk about and really just that God showed you that was incredibly impactful. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know, you know, we, we, you have to be careful using the word vision, mm-hmm. yeah. but I do think it was such a, a, a significant moment. It was like God gave you just this incredible picture yeah. and image. And, and why don't you describe that? Okay. That was so powerful. I think it's such a big part of your recovery. Well, you know, when you're a kid, you get a Bible, um, perhaps, and it's got pictures in it, and it just paints this beautiful picture of Jesus' love for us. And I can remember sitting in sermons that my dad was preaching, and I would be thumbing through my Bible, and I would see these pictures where Jesus was sitting down, and all these little children were all around him, and he had such a compassionate and loving look on his face, and he was holding them. And I can remember even as a little girl not feeling like I could be a part of that picture. And it kind of translated as I got older into me feeling unacceptable when I could picture anybody else being accepted by the Lord. And I don't know why that was always so separate. Some things happened when I was growing up and it kind of caused me some confusion. And one night when Doug and the girls were gone, they had gone to run some errands and I wasn't left alone very often at that point. And I can just remember being desperate and just saying, God, can you help me? I cannot be here in this mindset. And I got this picture in my mind um, of this of this scene in the Bible. And um, Jesus was with the children and I was over to the side and the children with Jesus looked so clean and they just looked so precious and acceptable to him. And I was over to the side and I had a dirty little dress on and my face was dirty and I was by myself. I was alone. And um, those feelings of loneliness happened a lot. We moved a lot when I was growing up. My sister and I were best friends, but that feeling of loneliness was very common to me. And I can just remember Jesus in this in this picture, standing up and coming over to me and getting me. And I don't know if you're a Christian or not, but that's what Jesus does for us. He stops what he is doing and he comes over and gets us no matter what condition we're in, no matter what shape we're in. Mm-hmm. He does not wait for us to be clean and perfect, but he comes and gets us and loves on us. And that's what he did for me that night. And I felt acceptable and... um like he wanted me, like he died for me too. I think that's such a powerful moment because I think, you know, you, Stacy, those that are in mental health recovery, it can be easy. We talked last time a lot about feeling isolated and alone. And I think that's a really um, common experience that many people feel. Yeah. But in the midst of that, you can also feel, okay, has God abandoned me yeah. too? Yeah. And yet I think this was just, God telling you, Stacy, in a way that spoke right to your heart, 
yeah, this is tough and you're hurting, but I've not abandoned you. That's right. I've not given up on you. And it actually wasn't long after this then that you started writing, you Mm -hmm. started your blog, you started sharing a number of things online that were pretty raw, pretty open and sharing about your journey. At that time, it was, um, you know, just just writing some things. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the things we had to come to was so often you're taught and told well, hey, your story has meaning, your testimony in Christian circles, if you use that word, has has a value. If, you know, you've kind of, here's what my life was like, here's how my life changed, and now here's how my life is all better. Right. And I think for us, we had to stop and say, okay, is it okay to tell our story if we're in the midst of it? Mm-hmm. Because our story has meaning. Your story, Stacy, has value. God has not abandoned you. You have a story to tell about God's grace and his love and his sustaining power in your life mm-hmm. in the midst of this, not at some point when it's all over. Right. And I think even that's how we're coming to this podcast. We're, mm-hmm. we're saying, yeah, we're still in the middle of this. You're still in recovery. Mm-hmm. And yet we can't say, okay, we've tied us off on a bow and, and it's all packed up and done with. Mm-hmm. But yet God is still at work in your life. God has not abandoned you. And, and God is, is sustaining us. And I think that's, a, that's something we want to share, and that's something we can share. Yeah, and I mean, we something we, that, uh, we really feel convicted about is just being able to be raw and vulnerable with you. Um, it's not really my story. It's not really our story even. It's the Lord's story that He yeah. is carrying us through. And I just feel like the Lord's going, Stacy. If you never get through this, I'm still here. Mm-hmm. And um, I do not run out of love and, and compassion and um, unconditional favor for you, no matter what. Yeah. And so he has not let me stay in that mindset of disappointment in myself. And how do I um, have the right to even talk on mental illness, speak about it? Because I'm not coming to you as somebody who's got it all together. Yeah. I'm coming to you as somebody who is in the struggle and in the fight, but that God is going to be is already victorious in. So, I love how you say that in the struggle, in the fight, and that's that's where we are. So again, and I think just even what you shared, Stacy, helps helps maybe our listeners understand this. There's no straight lines of recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, progress is defined sometimes by steps, sometimes by inches. And yeah, it's okay. Three steps forward, two steps back is still progress. So Stacy, one of the things that I know was another one of those really key moments in kind of this season of just, as you said, you know, in the fight, holding on, uh, God building resilience in us was a conversation you had with a dear friend. Yeah. And maybe just share a little bit about that conversation and just the the impact of it and really the, the way it changed the trajectory at that time of, of your recovery and where you were headed. Sure. Well, once a year, we have these precious friends who take us to Seaside, Florida, and we look forward to it so much, uh, just getting away, getting out of our normal, natural elements and so much of what I write about and what I learn through is water. And so um, in my book, I, I refer to water a lot and the ebb and flow of it and just how there's ebbs and flows in our life. And one night um, we were at the house um, that we were staying in and I was out on the back porch and it was pouring down rain, beautiful rain. And the porch was screened in 
and I was just sitting out there. I, my weight was at an all-time low, and my mind was hurting more than usual even, and I was just saying, God, what do you have for me? I've never really been the type to say, why, am, why me, God? I've often said, why not me, God, but how are you going to use this? What is your plan in my life to help my story be impactful to other people when I feel like I'm literally drowning? And I got a phone call about that time, and it was from my dear friend Debbie Wallace from college and um, college days. And she said, Stacy, I've just had you on my heart and mind. And I said, that is not by a mistake, Debbie. I said, I am in a really pivotal point. Doug and I have had some time um, here while we've been away to walk and talk together to be out in the water together. And we know that there needs to be a really big change in order for me to continue to live. And at this point, I, my mindset was, I'm probably going to die of anorexia. It's just going to be a slow death. And um, when I wasn't even eating, whether I was hungry or not, which I was never hungry, and my mind was heavy um, all the time. And um, I was even have a hard, having a hard time uh, reading scripture at that time. And she said, something I feel like I really need to tell you is that you, Stacy, you are worth saving. You're so concerned about everybody else, but you are worth saving. And, you know, I just sat there on the phone with her and I cried and she just let me cry. She just sat with me on the phone from thousands of miles away and just let me cry. And that's what it takes to be in the life of somebody with mental illness even if you just have one of them, depression, anxiety, anorexia, anything, um, whatever's under that umbrella of mental illness or even things that are just difficult that have nothing to do with mental illness. Mm. We all need that friend that will just sit with us. And that's where I got the title for the book, You Are Worth Saving. I couldn't think of a better title because there is no one that is not worth saving. No one. Yeah. What a great message. And what a great message for those, Stacy, that are listening is that wherever you find yourself right now, uh, in the midst of your fight with a mental health struggle, uh, possibly you're loving your family member through some difficult things right now, you, they are worth saving. And that was such a key pivotal moment for you. And mm -hmm. I know God's message for you. And I think the timing of it was, was really interesting looking back because it was just shortly thereafter that as you're continuing on still in your outpatient therapy, that your whole treatment team came to you, came to us, and really saw some of these, I think, just more intense challenges and recommended and pushed really hard that you go to an inpatient program. So right. there, uh, shortly after that, uh, at the end of that summer, um, you entered a inpatient treatment program back at Laureate Hospital in Tulsa, which is where, in many ways, your recovery story and journey started. They have a specialty program focusing on eating disorders, uh, world-renowned. So we were very close that it was very fortunate it was so close to our home. Yeah. What are some things that you would say about that stay there that are still sticking with you today, and, and how has that impacted your recovery? Yeah, I didn't feel like I was sick enough to go by any means. I thought I'm going to get to this this treatment center and I'm going to stand out because um, everybody's going to look a lot more sick than I am and then I'm going to be ashamed and I can remember even packing a bag if you know me at all I'm an overpacker my sister teases me about this all the time I pack as if I'm going to be gone for months and it's probably going to be a weekend trip so uh, 
I didn't think I was going to stay at this center. And so I packed this smallest little bag and probably two outfits. And I can remember sitting in the parking lot of this treatment center and um, I would unlock, I would lock the door and Doug would unlock it. I would lock the door, Doug would unlock yeah. it. And I was just like crying because I was like, I don't want to go. Looking back, that's funny. It was a bit of a dance. It was a tough moment. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, as you say that, as sick as you were, that was the eating disorder Sure. telling you, as you talked earlier about how it screams in your mind, it's kind of telling your mind, telling you, hey, I don't belong here. I'm not that sick. And really, your body was beginning to fail you in some ways, and you had to be there. Yeah, my heart was beginning to shrink, and my organs were stopping, um, starting to stop working. I couldn't digest food without several medications. I'm still on those medications. Um, I was supposed to be gone, or their projection on the phone with me was that I would be gone for six weeks, and I was in ICU alone for seven weeks. So I was barely even in the program um, at all at that point for seven weeks of the beginning stages. So that was really um, humbling. And also, uh, again, I knew I was where I needed to be, and I felt very safe. Um, I was surrounded by people who were trained, who were constant help and unconditional help. There was quiet understanding there. I ate over 300 meals and cried through most of them. I had a lot of anxiety around food because I wasn't used to eating it. I had a lot of trouble uh, starting the initial weight gain, the nutrition gain that I needed to have in order for my body to begin to heal from the inside out. I gained a substantial amount of weight, and people will say, you didn't gain that much, and I did, but a lot of it was is was internal around my heart to make my heart grow mm-hmm. again and get back to the size that it should be and for my organs to wake up and to start to function as they should. And so it was just a very overwhelming yet, uh, I guess if I was to look at the women that were surrounding me, I would say that they were the most heroic and bravest women I've ever been around. I got to know many of those ladies when I was able to visit with you and Mm -hmm. come on the weekends or during the week on occasion. And, uh, yeah, I would I would second that, definitely. It they were was, like my cheerleaders. They yeah. were my comrades for life, and they were just amazing. And when I would have trouble taking the next bite on my tray that was full of food, yeah. they would say, Stacy, don't forget that Riley wants you to be at that next dance recital. Eat that bite. Or Shelby wants you to be able to go on walks with her and see her as she acts and um, everything in her um and her art program at school. And you know what? Your daughters just want you to be there. Yeah. And you know what? Your husband wants um, to have a partner in life. And if you just keep eating, if you keep eating, you're going to be here for those things. And right now we know you can't see that, but we can for you. And so they kept that picture alive for me so that that way I could continue to eat and swallow my food. You know, in, in comparison, maybe just kind of painting a picture you know, when someone has had a traumatic, maybe spinal cord injury of some nature and they have to learn how to walk and mm-hmm. you've seen maybe on movies or, or kind of inspirational videos and they're they're on that, those parallel bars and they're really learning how to walk again. And there's a maybe a physical therapist there helping them relearn and just what an incredible um, display of courage that is and strength and endurance by that person. But 
I can see that same kind of thing. And, and that kept popping in my mind when I saw what you and, and your the group, the ladies with you that, that were all in treatment together were going through was there was such just kind of this courageous relearning, just almost having to relearn how to to do certain things, interpret certain things, to overcome maybe what the mental illness was trying to tell you. And yeah, courage is the first thing that pops to mind. And it still pops to mind all these years later. It was definitely exposure therapy. Yeah. <laughs> For lack of a better term, it was definitely exposure therapy. We didn't talk about it. We did it. Yeah. One of somebody that was extremely meaningful to you there in treatment was was one of the therapists and counselors. God had her waiting for me. Um, Highly qualified, worked with chronic eating disorder patients. um, And her name was Crystal Bowlby. And she would not want me to say her name. She is a very humble, uh, quiet, um, yet very brilliant therapist. And uh, she... God had her for me, and um, she would work with me day in and day out, one-on-one. And um, the uh, the thing that I want to say the most about her was that she would say something to me every single day, several times a day, um, because I couldn't get it through my head with all the screaming that was going on. And she would say... Screaming inside your head, not yes. outside the No, room. no. Yeah, gotcha. Sorry. Okay. Um, she would say to me, um, you have suffered enough, Stacy." You have suffered enough. You have suffered enough. You have suffered enough. And Mm -hmm. that became something that I would wake up hearing in my mind. And the screaming would become a little less temporarily. Those um, Because the mental illness, the mental illness would try to say to you, this is just your lot in life. Yeah. But this is what you deserve. Yeah. But she was saying the opposite. Yeah. Enough's enough. That's right. And. While I'm not an advocate of telling everybody to go get a tattoo, even though I have a dragon down my back. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, uh, I do have one tattoo, and it's on my wrist. And it says exactly what she would say to me. I have suffered enough, and it's in her handwriting. And it's got a little flower at the end. And it's on my right hand, or on my right wrist. And I have suffered enough is what I see with every bite that I take every day. Yeah. And... Um, then instantly her the picture of her face comes into my mind as she is cheering me on and saying, Stacy, God is bigger and you can do this. And I know you're scared, but I'm right here with you. And, you know, I've been home for a while now and she is still someone that stays in contact with me. She's one of those people in my life that it hasn't gotten to the point where she has said, I can't be your friend anymore or I can't be a person in your life anymore. And some people do bow out. They yeah. get exhausted. Um, sometimes I can't re- I can't believe that Doug and I have made it this far in our marriage, but he is someone who stays. Um, and that's very godly of him. But Crystal is someone who has stayed in my life, and so have many of these ladies. But So getting that tattoo was kind of almost a first step when we when you left treatment. It was but just can I tell him one thing about the a tattoo? Month. Of course you can tell him. Okay. It's so hilarious because I came home with this tattoo, and it says, I have suffered enough. And Doug had gotten to get a Sharpie out of his office drawer, and he put on his wrist, wrist, me too. So I was like, ha, ha, ha. He said he had suffered enough too. So <laughs> I wasn't brave enough to get the actual tattoo. I saw you go through the process. I watched it happen, and I'm like, that's not for me. <laughs> but also, certainly, I didn't want that on my wrist permanently because that's not how I feel. <laughs> I am your champion, your supporter. And, yeah, it's it's hard, but I can tell you this. 
your journey is 10, 20, 30 times as hard as what I've ever had to walk. Mm -hmm. So I, I admire you as you walk it. So since then, you know, Laureate has had a huge role in our lives as a family. We've stayed in touch. But uh, recovery continues. Again, no straight lines of recovery. So there you know, were times there, times you needed that, that specialized kind of attention. And then since, since that program's completed and you've been continuing on in your outpatient therapy, there's a phrase I know you talk about a lot, and that's recovering well. So what does that look like for you to recover well? To do the next right thing. Yeah. Um, none of our days look perfect. None of our days look symmetrical. But for me, it's to ask God before my feet even hit the ground in the morning to help me to make the right choices. I cannot. I've tried. I have tried to no avail to do this on my own. Mm-hmm. I've tried to make myself hungry. I've tried to talk myself into eating certain foods. I've tried to talk myself out of depression. Um, all of these things. Um, no, you can't be that anxious. What is wrong with you, Stacey? You have a wonderful husband. You have two amazing daughters. You're surrounded by friends. You don't have any needs. What is your problem? And my problem is, is that I have a mental illness, but I have a yeah. God that's helping me through it. Wow. That's so huge. Yeah. Um, he is my first thing in the mornings. And even on the days that I fail, it's not because I haven't started my day like that. It's just sometimes I get a little behind. Yeah. Well, I love what you say there about doing the next right thing. And so often we that's where we find ourselves. Mm-hmm. We've had a tough day. You know what? We're going to start the next morning with doing the right thing. And for you, Stacy, I know, and for maybe you listening, doing the next right thing looks like, okay, I'm going to make that appointment even if I don't feel like it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take my medicine today. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to work on this. I'm going to not isolate myself. All those things combined, uh, you know, look like at different times the next right thing. Yeah, and, and being able to reassure people in my life that I'm doing that yeah. by showing up where I'm supposed to be. Um, and, and not scaring them. And I can remember a while back, um, the girls and I went to the mall together. Um, I love them all. And we went to the mall Yes, together. I know you love them all. Yeah, I know, I know. But uh, we went to the mall together, and I said, hey, girls, do y'all want to get a cookie? And they said, you mean us? Or, and I said, no, I'm going to get a cookie also. Yeah. And the girls couldn't believe that I brought up getting something that I would have never, ever. It's just the small things. It's the little things that are monumental to our family. It's progress. It's progress. That's what it is. It's progress. And so that's where we are. I think we said it earlier. We are are on the journey. Um, But we want to tell the story from our journey, not as counselors, not as necessarily professionals, but someone that knows our story really well. And hopefully through that, we can share some hope. We can share some encouragement with you. Um, I want to leave you with this today. Just just one um, kind of thought of hope almost. You know, it's the Christmas season. To me, there's a great um, passage of Scripture uh, in, in the book of John, where it's really John chapter 1 talking about the coming of Christ that we're about to celebrate here at the Christmas season And it says this, it says in John chapter 1, verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Mm -hmm. And and I understand that that, as John is writing that, as God's speaking to us, he's talking about 
the darkness of sin, the darkness of the world. But I also see that in your life, Stacy, that where mental illness has tried to be just this dark kind of envelope just, just that's flooded over you and, and overtaken you. I've also seen God at work in your life to saying, even this darkness, this darkness of mental illness, this darkness of depression, your mind screaming to you all the time as you struggle with an eating disorder, that those things, as powerful and as strong, as, an, as intimidating as they are, they cannot overcome the purpose that God has in your life, the plan he has for your life, and the love that he has for you. Mm-hmm. And I think if there's anything we could say to you out of our story, it is that God loves us. He's not waiting for us to finish this journey, and then he'll love us. He'll love you, Stacy. Mm-hmm. He loves us right where we are. He loves you right where we are. And we are so thankful for that. We hope you can celebrate that here at Christmas. We are so thankful that you guys have listened. Thank you so much. Um, You're just validating what God has brought um, us through and continues to bring us through by just going, yeah, we get it. And even if we don't get it, we love you guys and we want to stay on this journey with you. And we want to invite you to subscribe. We are now on Google and Apple and Spotify. So um, there's also a link in my bio, my Instagram. Speak Out Loud is my Instagram. Speak Out Loud is also my Facebook page. And so we're just staying true to our label on this. And so that that way it's easy to remember. Um, Please share about the podcast with a friend that you think um, that this might encourage through uh, social media. And um, like and follow on Facebook and Instagram, just all the things. Yeah. <laughs> Please, just to get Definitely. this out there, we would so, so appreciate you. We humbly ask you to do that. Hey, you can also get Stacy's book, You Are Worth Saving. We talked about that a little bit earlier in the podcast today. You can pick it up on Amazon. You can also find it at barnesandnoble.com. Maybe a little bit too late to get it this year as a Christmas present, but man, what a great way to give to somebody uh, to start the new year. Stacy's going to be working on an audiobook version yep. of this yes. early in 2021. So mm-hmm. that should be available uh, sometime next year as well. But uh, just a great story and, and book of hope to give somebody that maybe uh, needs a bit of hope to start out this new year. Mm-hmm. We're going to be back in a couple weeks. We are so excited you've joined us for these first two episodes of the Speak Out Loud podcast. Uh, we are going to be taking a week or two off and coming back right after the beginning of the new year. So begin be looking for those episodes. You can, by subscribing, you'll be notified when the next episode is available. Uh, coming out of the gate in 2021, we're going to be talking about something that I'm sure if you struggle with mental health or you have a loved one that does, this has just been weighing on you and something you're dealing with. We've been dealing with this, but just mental health in the midst of the pandemic. We're hopeful the pandemic is nearing its end with the vaccine, but we know it's ongoing. So we're going to talk about that, share what we've learned in this, and share hope and encouragement as we together build a community for those that struggle with mental health and those that love them. Thanks, guys. We'll see you you next time.